I am headed north for an in-person event at the Wilmette Historical Museum on Sunday, April 23rd from 2 p.m. to 3 p.m. And I'd love to see your faces if you're in the area. Tickets are free for members and only $5 for non-members, which can be purchased at the door. Check out wilmettehistory.org for more info. If you haven't listened to my discussion with author Mark Guarino about his new book, Country and Midwestern, Chicago in the History of Country Music and the Folk Revival, in episode 612 of this podcast, please check that one out before listening to this one. If you did listen to that episode and are interested in hearing more, here you go. Some extras from our conversation. Enjoy. One of the things Mark and I talked about was how Chicago really needs to step up to better support our musical heritage, including historic buildings. Well, you mentioned Muddy Waters, for example, and and I think in your book you address that his house was left to rot, basically, until just a couple years ago when people finally, you know, got together and, and tried to save it. And that's a shame. It, it just seems crazy to me. Yes, there's a little sign out in front of the house, but other than that, it's kind of boarded up, I think, Yeah, still. and part of it, that's you know, it's all private property. So what can the city do with private property? Well, they will say, well, we can't do much. We don't own it. Well, but there's political will, too. And, and if there's not a political will, if you can't start with political will, you got nothing, you know, because, you know, as we know, leaders can have great influence over yeah. like uh, over how uh, things that happen in that city you know the, the two dailies who are mayors here they were really known for um, doing you know getting stuff moving of stuff that you know maybe wasn't really in their purview as, as you know or under their responsibilities so um, they could have done a lot and um, they just it's it's a re- very strange you know I, I, I would drive friends of mine I had a friend from um, he's a Londoner coming in and the first thing he wanted to see was Muddy Waters house and he wanted to go down to see where all the clubs were on 47th Street and he wanted to see the Blues Brothers mural and, and all this other which is that building's been torn down since then and and you know he's one of thousands of people who come here every year wanting to see this stuff because the music traveled and the music meant something to people and it's 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 our culture, you know, and, and of, as Americans, and um, the stuff that came from this zip, you know, these zip codes, seem to just kind of um, not really raise much of an eyebrow among people through these administrations. And if you think about it, administrations change every four, eight years, or or more, and so um, some some of that cultural knowledge gets lost, and um, if it's not paid attention to, it, it has gotten better. There's a great mural of Muddy Waters downtown, and. And luckily, his granddaughter started a foundation to help the house get back up on its feet, but um, all without the city's help. The Uptown Neighborhood was also a big topic on the main episode. We talked about Hank Williams Village, which was never built. Instead, Truman College stands where Hank Williams Village would have been. Truman College's construction resulted in roughly 1,200 families and 45 businesses being displaced. And and now we have a college, which I guess is good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the city colleges—that's a great, yeah, great. Boy, that's a 
you know, a lot of times I've gone to that city college and I've talked to journalism students there, and I've also talked to journalism students at Northwestern and some big impressive schools. The most impressive students are at Truman College. Wow. I mean, the ones who are really, they want to learn, yeah. they want to ask me really great questions. There's maybe only three of them because the students, the class sizes are tiny, but it's like they were there to like really, really learn. So I, I, uh, I uh, was really impressed with Truman. Chicago has had its share of record labels that have capitalized off of the country and Western music craze over the decades. For fans of the genre, many know Bloodshot Records, which has released albums from Ryan Adams, Andrew Bird, Old 97s, Waco Brothers, countless others. Uh, There were other record labels promoting country, including ones, again, I had never heard of. Ovation Records, based in Glenview, which is a suburb about 22 miles north of downtown, Churchill Records, founded in Des Plaines, Illinois. Based on your research, were these lesser-known labels interested in helping develop talent or and, and, and getting their music to the fans, or were they kind of in it just for the quick buck, or was it a little of both? Well, that, at that time, 70s and 80s, the country music was very, very popular and was crossing over into the pop realm, and so there was a real interest in um, finding stars, finding hit makers, and so a lot, of, especially Ovation Records, was really on top of that. They had somebody located in Nashville, sort of a talent scout producer in Nashville, while the operations was in a single home here. Um, It had been started by a musician who kind of turned into a businessman who really knew the industry. So it was really... In, in a way, it was kind of chasing trends, uh, but they had they had some success. I mean, they, they really did. They had the Kendalls, who was um, a, a father-daughter team that, that had a bunch of hits, and they also recorded uh, Bonnie Kolak, who um, was a great singer from here um, in the 70s. They didn't really know what to do with her, unfortunately. Those records, uh, you can find those records everywhere, and I recommend people pick them up because they are, like, fantastic records. They've got all these great jazz, Chicago jazz players on them, and they are, um, you know, the songwriting is really, really good. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's um, they're, they're Flying Fish is the other big one that I talk about in the book, and that was a, a kind of a Roots Americana label, but also kind of a world label. They had everything that ran for a long time here, and it was really the first record label that released a lot of people we consider today as sort of forerunners in Americana music, like um, John Hartford and, and um, oh, Newgrass Revival and um, Michael Smith, and just great, great artists on that label. Yeah. Oh, I have to stop right here. I did have one correction from the main episode. My friend Emily pointed out that Mark and I referred to John Prine sitting on hay bales But she said, no, those are straw bales. Being the daughter of a farmer, I should have just accepted she was correct, but I looked it up anyway. Although they may look similar and may be found together in the same places, they are indeed different. Hay is food for plant-eating animals. Straws used for non-food purposes like bedding or for mulch. Thanks, Em. Moving on. You're working on a new book for the University of Wisconsin Press. Care to tell us anything about that? Sure. So um, the book is very has nothing to do with this book, but um, uh, in the summer of 2020, um, there was, as, as everyone knows, we had COVID, we had the shooting of George Floyd, we had social unrest in all the cities across America. In August, late late August, um, 
something that happened in cities around the country. Uh, unfortunately, uh, an unarmed black man was shot by police, sparking uh, protests in Kenosha, Wisconsin. So I was there when all that happened, and uh, every night and daytime for that those first couple days, and I was pre- unfortunately present when uh, Kyle Rinhouse uh, shot two people and maimed a third person. That really stuck with me and kind of changed my life in a way. Um, and so I wrote about, I was there for the Washington Post, and I, I had written about, for the next year I wrote about him and what happened at Kenosha for a million articles for the Post, and I covered his trial for two weeks in November and the aftermath. And so my book is really kind of looking at um, the impact that had on Kenosha and kind of trying to kind of dissect Kenosha, which I think was sort of a microcosm for everything going around the country. Concerns over police reform, COVID, um, total misinformation on social media and how it was being weaponized by people on the left and people on the right. And you had a presidential election, how all the, all the politics were changing around um, this new language of, like, is a protester Antifa or a protester someone for social justice? You know, it depends on your perspective. And so my book, I spent a lot of time going to Kenosha interviewing just common, ordinary people in Kenosha of all stripes. And so my book really kind of looks at um, Kenosha with, like, a real deep forensic lens of what happened there and also how it impacted um, the city today. Yeah. I should mention uh, special thanks to Carol's Pub for allowing us to record today. Um, if you're uh, north of Wilson on Clark, you can't miss Carol's. And again, it's been here since 1972. It's a great place. Um, honestly, a family just walked in with two young kids. It's fairly early in the day, but uh, it's, uh, I got to tell you, for, uh, for an old-timey uh, country feel in the city, uh, I don't think you could do better than Carol's Pub. They did a great job here. Yeah, it was about to go... About to go under for a long time for back taxes, and the owner was just going to abandon it. But the new owner did a great job, so I'm really glad this place was saved. And also recognizing its country music history, too. It's, the last, it's really the last uh, place you can kind of drop in and, and get a sense of um, what was going on here for so many years. I should point out one more thing about Carol's. When the place was reopened by the new owner a few years back, there was grumbling about the new windows that were put in where there was once a brick wall facing Clark Street. I found an article in the Chicago Tribune from 2005, which included this. Quote, Carol wanted to put in windows to make it look like a yuppie bar, but I talked her out of it, said longtime bar manager Jimmy Curry in his thick-as-molasses Harlan County, Kentucky accent. We wanted to keep it looking the way it does because it's country, end quote. I've been to Carol's a few times over the last couple weeks, and the new windows don't seem to be causing the crowds any unhappiness. There you go. A little extra love for Mark Guarino and his book Country and Midwestern. I'll be back soon with new episodes. Until then, stay safe.